Hey everybody, what's up? What's going on? This is Carlo from Designing a Startup Life podcast. This is the official second interview I've had with an entrepreneur and innovator, and I'm just really excited to start doing more of these interviews because a lot of the journey that I'm on is uncovering how to build a personal brand. And I believe that you know one of the best ways to do this is to talk to other people in the same space, in the same journey as me. And so I'm just really excited to, to get to know more entrepreneurs and innovators and artists and creators. And this podcast is really all about that, just really discovering other people who have the same passions as we do and, and how they're going about uh, building their own personal brand. And so this episode, we have a friend of mine. His name is Jonathan Darling. He is a, a leadership coach. He is a sales leader. He's an entrepreneur. He's an overall amazing human being. And so I'm just really excited about the conversation that we had. And, and I can't wait for you guys to listen. And I really encourage you to listen all the way through because I didn't even expect to go this long for the second official interview that I've had with somebody. And so we unpack his experience in the fitness industry, being a bodybuilder, you know, his experience with something called the 24-hour challenge with a former Navy SEAL, his newfound passion in leadership coaching, and, and so much more. And so many things that I found about his life that really makes sense and motivates and inspires uh, the way he lives today as well as, you know, the way I kind of look at life today as well. So I, I'm just... Really excited for you guys to listen to this, and you know I don't want to waste any more time. I hope you enjoy the conversation that I've had with Jonathan Darling. I have a really awesome guest today. Uh, he's a friend, an entrepreneur, sales leader, leadership coach, founder of some pretty amazing projects that I think I'll let him talk about. Um, but I have Jonathan Darling here. So uh, welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, man. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome to, uh, to be here from the beginning, man. I'm pumped. Right. How do you feel about episode 002? <laughs> I feel like, I, like you know, James Bond, there's, he's 007. I feel yeah. like I'm the second carnation of that. So this is like the beginning well, of like the super spy. You guys are setting the bar high, so <laughs> I, I'm going to have to come with some really awesome guests in a while. So, uh, but hey, why don't you just give everybody a little bit about you know who you are, what you do before we really kind of dig into you know our conversation today? Yeah, so um, I am an Indiana native, uh, now living in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I have been in the sales world for about the last eight to 10 years. And I'm currently now the director of packaging for the Southeast division of Ambrose packaging out of Kansas city. I am building a division of that company out here. So really um, entrepreneurial minded from a standpoint that there was no Ambrose packaging in the Southeast prior to me coming on board 12 months ago. And so I'm, I'm building a, a, nice. a division from nothing and I am also a uber passionate um, guy about leadership and motivation. Um, and I really kind of sum everything up with, with what I try to do with leadership and motivation and what I believe. And I believe that when you engage your heart, you find purpose in everything that you do. 
and you can become the catalyst of self-belief in someone else's life. And so I'm, I'm doing different things to try to help promote that and, and help people really start believing in themselves. And, and I believe as leaders that influence one person to another, not just a title, that we have an oppor- opportunity to do that in everything that we do. So uh, trying to figure out ways to kind of get that a little bit more off the ground and spread that message. So, so with, with the, the leadership, you have a kind of business built around that called Engage the Heart, right? Yeah. So that is kind of the platform that I am trying to grow this this leadership consulting and speaking business from because it, like to me, that's where it all stems from anyway. Hmm. And so that's where, that's where leadership, that's where self-belief, uh, positivity, all those things has to start. And it starts when you engage your heart, when you, when you activate your heart into the things that you're doing, you cultivate this belief and this love and this care towards what you're chasing or the people that you're interacting with. And so engage the heart is really just the, the kind of the battle cry and the mantra of like how to activate that love and care for others. I love it. And so like, that's amazing. And so did that come from not experiencing that in in some of like your experience and your roles and then one day you were like you know we should lead much differently or was what was it that kind of made you say you know i need to speak a little bit louder about what it means to lead and was it while you were being led or was it when you became a leader well you know that's that's actually a great question it's kind of a combination of everything um a little bit of all what you said so you know, I had an opportunity to uh, work for a great company, getting into outside sales, and <clears throat> really learned a lot about sales and and interacting with people and building relationships with people. But upon leaving that company back in 2015, believing that the relationships that I had built with that company were true, honest, real relationships. I come to find out that they really weren't. So after I left that company and I I was working for um, an industry leader in my field and I started really getting into leadership, started reading a little bit more and I started writing articles that became very, very passionate about writing articles on like sales strategy, targeting strategy, new business development, leadership and the leadership from that company the company that I'd left would make up fake email addresses and write just negative, horrible things on my blog articles. Yeah. Which is crazy to think (laughs) that that's crazy, you know, like, like presidents and VP of finances and, and these high level executives of like a $65 million company actually have time to make up fake hotmail, you know, email addresses to like write stuff, negatively on my blog. And so, um, it it Mm. really started opening my eyes to if, if I was a leader, how would I lead? And I actually wrote an article called if I were a leader and through writing that, I I had a few guys really speak into me that, that really said, Hey dude, you're a leader even without a title, like you don't need a title to be a leader and you are one. And so that actually spurred me to write another, another article called, uh, you're a leader, even without the title. And it really just, it really opened my eyes to Hmm. leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And 
what type of influence do I want to have in someone else's life on a day-to-day basis? And that really kind of stemmed the growth of the message that honestly, I, I like if there was, I mean, I live in the Smoky Mountains, you know, in, in East Tennessee, if I could climb to the top of the mountain and scream it for people to hear, I would do it. Um, Cause I just, I believe in it that much. Right. That's awesome. So, so, so you wrote articles, mm-hmm. you wrote blog articles around leadership and, you know, leading from the heart, you know, how to lead a lot of the really good stuff that we need to be, you know, paying attention to. And you're saying that people will make fake email addresses, make comments. I mean, what, what I'm thinking, what would you say to someone writing positive messages? I just don't, you know, I don't, you know, what did they say to you? Or like, so, like, I, I don't like, obviously there, there weren't, it wasn't too harsh, like as far as like, cuss words but i'm yeah, like yeah. if you want me to just say it i'll tell i'll tell you what it is i don't get like they would be like hey you big fat ass dummy get back to work what do you know about leadership yeah. and like let's just like let's just get this straight if there's one thing i'm not it is it is not, it is not, not a fat ass by by any means uh because i grew up in the fitness industry and all these things which is just funny but they like you know they and they would say what do you know about this? You've never, you've never led anybody in your life. Who are you to write anything about leadership? And they would just, in every article that I would come out with, because at one point I was writing, um, because I traveled a lot, I was writing almost an article or two a week. And, wow. That's um, and, 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 and it's crazy because I, I did it just as a, Hey, I'm going to write an article. And then I realized, wow, I actually really love written word. Like I actually love to write. And, um, but every one that I came out with, I would I would get an email and I'd get so pumped up. I'd be like, oh, man, somebody car- commented on my blog because I'd post right. it on LinkedIn, Facebook, every, like I'd put it everywhere. And then I'd look and it'd be this other fake email address with the same crap. And I knew it was personal because I, I knew who it was. Like I knew I ended up knowing who it was. Cause I'm kind of like a Dick Tracy. Like I even, I looked up the IP address of where the email address was made from, which I don't know if you knew <laughs> that you could do that, but you can. So how did that, so like initially I think a lot of people struggle with when you start to become a little bit public, even if you write articles or you post a message and the things that can really like bog yeah. people down are the like comments, right? Like people trolling and I know in, in my own kind of experience, it, it would, it would kind of hit me in the side of the face pretty hard uh, for a while. How did that make you feel like right away? Like, were you, were you at a place where you, you know, kind of shrugged that off or, you know, did it affect you at all? I think a lot of people struggle with that. Right. I mean, we're just such an open society now, you know? Right. Being just being very, uh, you know, and I, I tell people this, I, and you and I know each other, obviously, but just for anybody listening, I'm a, I'm a overtly like transparent person. I'm very frank. I'm very open. Like I am, I am me. So, um, I don't really sugarcoat a lot of things. So, um, when, when the first comment happened, if they would have been in the room, I probably would have hit them. I was, I was physically angry. Yeah. Um, 
And in each additional comment, I was, I would like, especially after the first few articles and, and it wouldn't just be one comment on one article. It would be multiple made up email addresses with multiple comments. Wow. And I was, I wanted to go to my old company and I wanted to physically choke the dude, uh, and the people who were doing it. Um, and, and it was really hard for me to take it. You know, one of the things that I've always struggled with in my life and that I've, I've really, really been working on over the past and, and especially now that I've identified it over the last probably eight to 12 months is, um, uh, validation from other people into what I'm doing. Yeah. And, um, and, and having these people that I believed had a relationship and that I had a connection with, and that at one point I thought truly supported me to have them be like that. I just, I felt really, I felt really stabbed in the back, man. Like it, it, it hurt me. Like it emotionally hurt me. Cause I, I'm a, I'm an emotional guy and I, and I connect with people really easy and I always believe the best in people, um, which I believe is a, I, I will not change that, but it also sets me up to be, to put trust in the wrong people sometime. And it, and it, it hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> we'll take a quick break here. <laughs> my, my wife's yelling at the kids. If you yeah, can hear I, her. I heard her a little uh, bit. <laughs> sorry about that. We'll cut this out. Um, but yeah, I think that's where, I think that resonates with a lot of people because the more open we are about our passions, there's bound to be someone who or something that doesn't agree with it or is envious or jealous of it. And I think it's important, even, t- even today where younger kids are getting mm-hmm. bullied, right? Um, it's how to, de- it's how to deal with those emotions. And so, man, you know, I don't know what I would have done, you know, in that context, but um, Hey, listen, you something said something really interesting and I want, I wanted to dig deeper. You talked about mm-hmm. the fitness industry. I mean, I, I know you, and I, all I know is the <laughs> pictures that I've seen of, of of you being somewhat of a professional bodybuilder. Let's, let's like you throw the professional let's, word let's, way out of there. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about it. Sure, let's talk about it. Like, so um, tell me about it. <laughs> um, so so in high school, um, I in seventh grade I, I moved, and we can we can get into this. But my mom moved us to Indiana, and um, I'd I'd never really, I'd played baseball. I wasn't really a great baseball player by any means, um, even in t-ball. I just it just wasn't my wasn't my ball game. Um, no pun intended. But I I started in seventh yep. grade when I moved to Indiana to a small town in Winchester. Um, I wasn't good enough to play basketball because I just wasn't good at basketball at all. And in Indiana, it, you play basketball and my mom wouldn't let me play football because she said I was too small and that I would get hurt. And, but in her mind, wrestling was a great idea for me because no one ever gets hurt in wrestling. That just made sense in her mind. So I started wrestling and then my junior year of high school, so I wrestled a few years, and then my junior year of high school, my mom finally said, hey, you can you can play football if you want. And I started working out a little bit, and I became obsessed with working out. And my best friend and I, who I still have, he my best friend lives about six miles from me now in Knoxville. Our families are close. Our kids are the same age, go to the same school, so it's really cool. But 
we started going to the YMCA in Winchester, Indiana, and we would lift our faces off every single day. And especially on Tuesdays when the AAU volleyball girls from all over the county would come in and practice and we would lift arms until we couldn't lift our arms anymore and they were so swollen and we'd walk around the track above the gym and then we would we would also um (laughs) we would also go down and play one-on-one basketball with our shirts off and uh and so lifting just became a part of my life and, and i found out i was i was actually really good at lifting like i became really strong and so I I just started working out and then um, my, I guess it was my first junior year of college um, because I had multiple probably junior and senior years of college uh, at Ball State University where you and I met, chirp, chirp, go Cardinals. Um, There was a Mr. Ball State uh, bodybuilding competition and I decided I wanted to be a part of that. So I competed in my very first bodybuilding competition. I did horribly. It was the best I ever looked personally, which is kind of the main goal, even though it's you lose that. But, uh, you know, I competed for the very first time and, and it became something that uh, I really became infatuated with and, and probably competed after that about six or seven times in, in different amateur natural bodybuilding competitions. So, you know, drug tested and all that stuff and, um, had a few top five finishes, had a few first place finishes. And, uh, uh, the last time I competed was about six years ago now. Wow. I had no idea you did Mr. Ball State. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, (laughs) it was my first real, um, understanding of trying to like learn how to diet and learn how to, how your how food affects your body and all that stuff and um, how probably alcohol is not the best thing to do while you're trying to get ready for a bodybuilding competition. But um, it was still, um, it, it was a blast, man. And it, and it really opened up this, this avenue for me of, of uh, I love being on stage in front of people and it was just an opportunity to do that. You're just in really, really small underwear. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I know it's, it's, I can't imagine even going up there in, in that type of competition and, you know, trying to compete, but yeah. And it, and it, and it's, you put on like, you get this like goo stuff that you put on that takes you from like, I am like captain white guy, you know, like pale as can be like shiny bald head back at, back then in college I had hair, but you literally wipe this stuff all over you and you become like, the darkish, sh- like shimmery gold tan man, and it is really? crazy. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, well, talk about that regiment, kind of getting ready for something like this, because you know, in our last our last podcast, I had a, we had a chance to talk to a friend of mine as well who was in competitive figure skating, and much like what you were talking about, you know, what we see or what we get to see are is is the moment when you know these men or women go up there and you know that's like the pinnacle right that you're that's like sh- that's like the show but behind that there's just got to be so much regiment even to get to that point and i can't imagine the motivation or, or some of the things that you have to have you have to do to get to that point and 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 what motivates you to do that because it seems like a lot of work right yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so can you, can you talk a little bit about for those many of us probably don't know a lot about the the you know bodybuilding um, 
industry and that world, you know, maybe just give us a small snippet of what a, you know, a piece of your day would look like. Yeah. So, you know, when really my first competition, I really had no clue what I was doing. Um, we, I had an idea, but in reality I had zero clue of, of what I was actually doing. But as I started learning a little bit more, you know, when I was preparing for a show, I would typically weigh in, uh, before a show at about, you know, close to 200 pounds maybe. And, um, you know, which in high school and even when I was in college, I maybe, I maybe topped out at like 175, 180. And so I would be about 200 pounds and I'd start dieting at, dieting at about 16 weeks out. And, um, I would end up most of the time when I was on stage, I was anywhere between 161 to 172 pounds. So you started at 200 pounds and yep. then by stage you said 161 yeah, about one sixty one to one. I, I one seventy two. I was a I was a lightweight competitor. Um, I, I I went into the middleweights at one point in time, but I was always on the light end of the middleweights. So, um, yeah. So I would, you know, it was uh, waking up in the morning and um, going and doing cardio uh, on an empty stomach for about an hour, and then go to work. Then later that evening. I would work out and then do more cardio. I would prep my meals um, for several days out and was really focused on, you know, at that point I didn't really have a great understanding of nutrition. Everything like was guessing what my body would respond to, but I was typically always at mm. a at a better at like a lower carb type um, nutrition plan. And, you know, I could look at pizza and gain 17 pounds. So you know, so there was, um, so I would, you know, everything was very restricted. Um, there were some times that I would do, um, you know, the last six weeks I would do fish only for every meal. Um, there are, you know, there was one, one show that I got ready for that. I think I actually looked my best that, um, literally throughout the week I would eat zero carbs, just protein fat. And then on that Saturday, I would literally eat nothing but processed, refined, sugary foods and zero fat for like an eight to 10 hour period, eating stuff like gushers, low fat pop tarts, low fat ravioli, little kid cereal. And, and you'd wake up on Sunday and feel hungover. But by the next Saturday, I was like four pounds down and lean. And, and I mean, it's horrible for your body, but I mean, just thinking, what, what what would be the the point of eating all those of those sugars on a Saturday? Like, since you were so disciplined, was it some sort of reaction that happened, or some sort of what was yeah, it? So Why? It's a, <laughs> I guess my question is, you know, with yeah, such a so, regimen. So, getting it, I guess, getting into a little bit more detail, um, there are different um, people who believe that, like, like there's carb cycling. So you go from a high carb day to a medium carb day to a low carb day. Then you have another variation, which is you have a high carb day and then, you know, like, like 
multiple low carb days in a row and then another high carb day. And this particular protocol, in, in what this particular protocol kind of like reference was that um, your, your typical high carb day for somebody preparing for show or whatever athletic thing that it was that you were trying to get lean for would go from taking in maybe like 50 to 75 carbs a day to and take and then like on their high carb day it would be like 300 right and the idea is and the thought process is behind this different protocol was that 300 grams of carbs the thought is that you 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 refuel your metabolism and kind of like reignite the fire the fat burning fire in your body well there's multiple thought leaders on that side of things that say going from 75 carbs to 300 carbs is just not enough to really cause a drastic uptick in your fat burning. And so this one particular guy by the name of Ken Hill came up with this protocol called skip loading. And his, his protocol was, in order to really get your metabolism back up and, and burning and not plateau out is you need to take in like a thousand grams of carbs or more. A thousand grams of carbs. Yeah. It was like, it was like literally you wouldn't even be able to count the amount of carbs that I would take in on a Saturday. And, and, and it had to be very ultra fast burning, simple processed carbs. And dude, and I'm telling you like, those Saturdays during that 20-week diet were the greatest days of my life, and Sundays were the most horrible because I felt like I literally got hammered the night before. Oh, my goodness. My body just couldn't process it, but I, I looked fantastic. Um, I, got, I got in ridiculously good shape. And all the, you know, backstage, when you're, when you're backstage at a bodybuilding competition, I, I, and I'll just say this, and I don't know if there will be any bodybuilders that listen to this, but seriously, people need to stop being dicks <laughs> because you, you, you're backstage and I get it. You're hungry. You're miserable. You're mad. But like it is the most non-community community in the amateur bodybuilding world because everybody's just pissed off and they think everybody is – and they think they're better than everybody else or they've worked harder and that – like – it is seriously such a joke to stand back there. And it was, it was so awesome for that show to stand back there and have these guys be like, Oh, well, I ate this on my diet. None of this. And like, I'm my buddy and I are back there eating like pop tarts and gushers and <laughs> pancakes and feeling fantastic. And they're like, how'd you got, you guys didn't eat that the entire time. And we're like, yeah, literally every Saturday <laughs> we ate this stuff. That's why like, we know we can eat it now. And, and it's, and, but these guys, man, like, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, there's a reason why I don't compete anymore. One, I don't want to work that hard anymore to like, I don't, yeah. I don't care that much to like look that way anymore. Like, yeah, it was great for like the two days that I looked like a model for Abercrombie and Fitch, but like, you know, I just, I don't, I don't care that much to, to do that to myself anymore. And, and plus man, like, the people in the industry, and I, and I would say this to anybody, they're, they're, a lot of them, you got you have some great people. I still have some great friends that are in 
and, and compete. And some of them are pros now, but then there's a lot of them that are just jerks and they're just miserable with their life. Yeah. Cause all they're doing, man, they're trying to get like, they, they work so hard to then get on stage and have some dude who is not even in shape anymore or some girl who thinks they know what they're looking at, tell them that, well, you're carrying a little bit too much water in your oblique and well, you didn't have this separation and the, and it's so political because, well, this guy trains at gy- this gym. So he, and everybody's just so mad and just blame all of these different things. Everybody's just miserable. And dude, I, I just, I couldn't be around that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so the kind of the, I mean, it's just a crazy, that's just a crazy experience. And you know, what, what do you think has, that you took from that kind of season of your life to the leadership stuff now? Because it seems like it's a completely sh- different shift in, and maybe the discipline is the same, right? Maybe there's a lot of things that you needed to be doing to get to a point. Um, but it seems like a lot of the things that you did were probably a good experience as you kind of venture off in this new world of, you know, leadership development and, and kind of working heart to heart with people. I mean, was there, was there some similarities at least? Um, you know, I, I don't know that I, I, I really, I've, I've really never actually looked at that. I, I don't know that I would say that I took a lot of that from a leadership standpoint. What I did really take away from that and what I truly believe that if I was a company and I wanted to hire somebody in sales to go out and be in biz dev or, you know, sales of whatever kind, um, that, that was going to go out there and crush it on a day-to-day basis. I no joke would like, if, if, if there's anybody at a company that is listening to this right now, take, you could take this to the bank. You want to, you want to hire salespeople that are going to go out there and be the top performers in your company day in, day out, and always be at the top at the end of the year at your awards banquet, go out and find people who do bodybuilding or find people who are personal trainers. And it, and it, and it's, and it's and literally if I, and I tell people this all the time, some people don't listen, that's their fault, but they like literally the people who do bodybuilding or personal trainers or people who are uber into fitness and work in the fitness industry on a, from a personal training standpoint, they don't have to be told when to get up. They don't have to be told to go and work out because they have to do it. They don't have to be told that they need to stick to this certain regimen of how to eat to be healthy or anything. There are all these intangibles that they have that are so transferable over to sales because you won't have to tell them to get up and go make cold calls because they're already driven enough to driven enough to get up and go do it. You won't have to tell them to be at work at a certain time because they'll be up and they'll go do it. Like there's, there's all of these things that transfer over that. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, you're, you want to find, you want to find awesome people to come be in sales. Like stop looking for industry retreads in whatever you're doing or trying to steal somebody from your competitor, go to your local gym and find the trainer who's out there on the floor, like killing it. And people know who he is. And like when he walks in, the atmosphere changes, go get that dude. No, that's such a great, that's such great, you know, tips. It's like, you don't, not necessarily the experience or what you've done is, is who that you're really hiring the, you know, that person, right. They, you know, that's, mm-hmm. what's that saying? You know, you bet on the jockey, not the horse. Right. Yeah, for sure. And not the track. And I think that's so true, right. The jockey is you, is that person. Um, but I want, I want to ask you too, because 
not everyone wants to go into sales or thinks there's a, they're a salesperson. Um, mm-hmm. You're obviously been a sales leader, leadership leader now for quite some time. I mean, was that something like you, you knew when you were a kid or, or did you grow up in a way where you were, you had to kind of self-motivate yourself to do things, to get things done? I mean, like where did it all come from? So it's, it's, <laughs> Such a good question. Um, you know, today it, it was a it was a really cool day for me because I met with a young lady who um, actually reached out to me and said, "Hey, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you do it, but I need some of the motivation and some of the inspiration, and accountability that you obviously have for yourself in my life. Can you come meet with me and us talk about what that looks like?" And she actually said like how, like, you know, like how do you, how do you do what you do? Like, why do you wake up at four o'clock in the morning? Like, how do you do that every day? Because it really, she's like, her words were, it really pisses me off that you can do that. Like, like, (laughs) you know, it makes me mad because I don't think I can do that. Like, why can you do that? Like, where did you get this motivation from? And I, and I, and I answered it this way. I said, well, look, let me, let me take it back. I said, you know, and, and this is how I, uh, I'll answer your question. Like I, I grew up in a loving home, right? Like when I was a kid and life seemed great and normal. Um, I grew up in, in West Tennessee until I was about 10 years old. And I remember the day, like it was yesterday, I was in fifth grade coming to the end of the school year. And my parents come to me and they say, hey, we're getting a divorce and my mom is moving out and, oh yeah, kids, you're moving with your mom to this apartment. And, and that was it. Like there was no other discussion. You know, I've got a, I've got a older sister who's like 26 months older than me, uh, 18 months older than me actually. And, um, that was it. And two weeks after the divorce was final, my mom was remarried to the guy that she was cheating on my dad with. And, you know, she probably would not like me saying that um, and, and would deny, I love my mom. We have a great relationship that would probably hurt it, but um, it's the truth. It is what it is. And then she was married and divorced. Uh, that was kind of going rocky with that guy's family. So she moves us to Indiana where she was from to Winchester And she married and divorced that guy three different times for my seventh grade and eighth grade year. My mom really didn't get out of bed. Like she was in severe depression. I I would go to school. She'd be in bed crying. I'd come home. She'd be in bed crying. Um, Pretty much from the time I was in seventh to eighth grade, I had a job either waiting tables or working at the golf course, doing whatever. My sister had a job at the ice cream shop at, you know, the, the, uh, Haynes pharmacy. And, um, we, we work to help pay bills and to put food on the table and we would go to parent teacher stuff by ourselves. And there was, there was really no accountability to us whatsoever as kids. And, 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 you know, still to this day, I, I, it doesn't matter whatever happens to me in my life. I will never buy my kids great value pop tarts. One, because they suck. They're not real pop tarts. They're horrible. But two, I had to settle for that when I was a kid because we couldn't afford to buy real pop tarts. And 
I don't care how much they say they're like them. They're not. They're crap. It's cardboard in a in a bag. It's horrible. But it. But like through my entire high school career, there was no real accountability. Um, I, I left, went to college, um, had multiple jobs through college, had no accountability. Like, like, and when I say no ca- accountability, Carly, like not a lot of people know this about me. I don't, sh- I don't share this a lot. Like when, when I say no accountability, so when I was three years old, I was burnt. I fell into a pot of chicken broth trying to show my cousins how to do the karate kid kick. And we were at my mamaw's house in Alabama. I fell into this pot of chicken broth, had second and third degree burns all over my back, legs, and feet. I was in the hospital for 19 days. And I would have to go into surgery and they'd put me in a whirlpool and then they'd take me to surgery and peel like my dead skin off, right? Like, and my mamaw's insurance started a trust fund for me. And when I was 18 years old, I was handed a check for $20,000, that money was gone in a year. I came to college at Ball State my freshman year with 20 grand in the bank. That nobody told me what to do with it. Nobody held me accountable to it. Nobody helped direct me. And we came, I, you know, I grew up in a very impoverished mentality where my mom's mentality was if you have money, you spend it. Get what you can get now because you don't know when that money's going to be back. And so, like, my freshman year of college, like, I balled out, like, 20 grand gone in an instant. And I was in college six and a half years because there was no accountability. I was, you know, I just, I would change my major, whatever. And my entire life has always been one of, I didn't care, man. I I, I didn't care at all where I was going in my life. Like I, I won't say that I played a victim card because I never once said my situation wasn't one that I created because I believed that it was like, I knew what I was doing. There wasn't, oh, my parent, my parents got divorced. It was, look, like, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do because I don't have to an- answer to anybody about it. I'm paying my own way through college. Like, all these kids having to tell their parents what their grades were, I didn't have to do that. So if I didn't get a good grade in a class, who cares? I paid for it. And so, you know, and, and even fast forward my life to, like, you know, I graduated college, moved out to Los Angeles. Just It was just party. It was just – there was all these, I was just settling and, and, and through all of that, the, the, the perspective that people had about me or the perception that people had about me rather is that I was a loser. I was never going to amount to anything in my life. Um, uh, I was a waste. I was, I was trash. Um, and, and I remember dating this girl, Natalie in college, and, you know, I, I'm married now, have two wonderful kids, and I love my wife. I know that she was the, the woman that was meant for me. But at that point in time in my life, I thought Natalie was the one that I was going to marry. And I remember her mom telling her that if she ever married me, she better be prepared to take care of me and be the provider for the rest of our lives and be prepared to live in a trailer and eating off of paper plates and drinking out of plastic cups because I was a loser and I was never going to amount to anything in my life. So that's, I mean, that's who I was for a long time, man. And like, look, I don't, I don't blame her for thinking that way of me because I mean, kind of was at that point. I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't have any motivation. I didn't care about anything. And so, you know, I didn't grow up with this sense of, I need to overcome 
I, I really grew up with this sense of I'm mediocre, I'm average, I'm probably not even average. Um, so why try? Hmm. So so how did it how did it all change? Um well um there there are multiple things. One, um I really got tired of being told that I was a loser. Um, yeah. And a part of me with the ex-girlfriend's mom wanted to be like, all right, you know what? Like I'll show you, like I'll prove it to you that, that I'm not. Um, the other one was, man, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a man of faith now. And in, and in 2008, um, I gave my life to Christ and, you know, um, no, no hate to anybody else's ideology or, or religion or spirituality, but you know, I, I found my identity in, in who I believe God called me to be. And that didn't mean that things changed automatically right then, but it, it spurned a different idea of um, not trying to fill this emptiness or this void in my life that I felt like I had to. And, um, but it, it, that kind of, st- I believe that started the change. And then marrying a woman who, believed in me more than I believed in myself, that I could accomplish anything that I wanted to continue to spur that change. And then, you know, in, in all honesty, it probably wasn't up until about 12 months ago, eight to 12 months ago, maybe 16 months ago that, um, I really started to believe in myself that I have so much more to give. And and I, and it stopped for me being about trying to prove myself to other people and it became more about living up to what I believe was inside of me. And um, that's that's kind of what drives me now. Before it was driving to prove people wrong. Now it's driving to prove the inside of me right. I love that, man. And it's funny, I think, to give people context, we, we knew each other in school. Mm-hmm. Went to the same fraternity. Uh, we had, you know, we didn't really hang out that much. But I don't know how, I mean, years went by. And it was just before the holidays went in for some, I can't remember now for some reason we got connected and we wanted to catch up and, uh, you with the story you just told you, you wouldn't even think that you went through so much by the way you were just pumped about leadership and (laughs) engaging with people and like all over social and just all the positivity that's out there. I mean, that's just, it's just awesome to see that. I think we need more of that. That's um, what that girl said today. Like she sat there and I, and I kind of did that like whole, I was like, look, I'm not going to give it to y'all, but I'm going to give you like the highlight reel of like my life and how I got to like this moment right here with you today. Um, because yeah. I think that context is important. And, uh, and her jaw just dropped and she was like, she was <laughs> like, I would have never imagined that that's, who you were. And I said, I said, you know, I think that's the problem sometimes is we see the people where they are in the moment. And, and I don't think, I don't think people who make it really shine enough light on who they were before. Like, like you and I both love Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Like, and, and he was, he was an immigrant Mm -hmm. and all these things, but Gary Vaynerchuk was always a hustler. From the time he was a kid, he was always a hustler. He always had this idea that like he could sell anything right, like ripping flowers out of people's yards, selling them, 
like going right up to the door and selling them their own flowers back to him, like selling, like they like he always had that spirit about him. And I think sometimes we see people like that and, we're, and, and I think we get defeated when we're like, man, that just wasn't, that's just not me. That's not who I was. I didn't grow up having that idea, that vision. And, and so with meeting her, with her today, like I wanted her to know, like, look, like what you see today still struggles. And I didn't come from this right. idea that I was right. always positive or always going to be somebody that people looked at as like this positive influence, which, you know, like it just, that wasn't who I was. Like that's who I have become, but that's not how it started. And I, and I think, I think bringing that transparency to like, not everybody starts out like a Gary Vaynerchuk with that idea that some people start out and they really don't believe in themselves at all. And I, I didn't, you know, and I think you and I, it was funny um, just hearing you talk about how you and I reconnected. Um, I remember I would write articles and I don't know if you remember this a lot, but I would write, I would write an article. I would post it on Facebook and there are two guys who would always comment and take the time to read my article and say something nice about it. And that was you and a, and a blast from the past named Billy Rumsey. You and Billy Rumsey were the two people who would always like, were hmm. one of the first two to always make a positive con, you know, a comment and, you know, or, or, or some sort of encouragement. And I, and I remember like being like, man, that Carlo, he's a good dude. We need to reconnect. <laughs> and, and it's crazy <laughs> where that's, that's come, you know? Yeah, man, you've been such a positive influence on my life too. It's just, you know, it's just been a real blessing. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. I never knew that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's funny. I, I, and, and Rumsey's still a guy that, you know, he'll, you know, he'll send me a message and he'll be like, man, keep making those videos, dude. Cause you're like, like that one you made today, like really touched me. And, and, and it's cool to hear that. Cause like, sometimes you don't, you don't realize that you do that. And especially with, you know, guys that you, you know, had relationships with, you know, like kind of acquaintance friendships with that, you know, you never know how that reconnection is going to come back about uh, around, but that's, that's been really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect segue, man. Into so my thought with the podcast is to have, I guess it's called an anchor question, like some, a question I'm going to ask everybody and eventually everyone will figure out what the question is. Um, but I want to get consistent with at least one question, right? And I think that's really cool to see from our from guests and just to compare, you know, hopefully hundreds of episodes from now, right? And so my question is this, ma'am. You know, imagine one day, like generations from now, you know, either members of your family or friends, right? And they're going to be able to walk into a room and the, the room's going to be filled with books with just floor to ceiling, you know, far as the eye can see. And, and each book represents a chapter in your life. And so the question is, which book would you want them to read and why? <laughs> oh, that's such a good question. Um, it's such a good question. And, and it's funny because I, I, I feel like it's a pretty easy answer for me. Um, there's been a lot of chapters in my life that I believe have um, helped cultivate and create who I am today that have, that have really imprinted on me a lot of like really great things. But if, if there was one chapter, like, you know, I've got a six year old and a three year old daughter 
And Mm -hmm. if I wanted them to read a chapter, it would be the chapter that is being written from about this past September to today. Really? Um, And it's, it's in, and I would, I would entitle the chapter belief. Um, My word for this year is believe. And it was, Really, ever since this, I went on this 24-hour hike, um, walking for 24 hours nonstop, um, and coming to the end of that, which, which um, look up Tom Shea's uh, book, Unbreakable. He's a Navy SEAL, uh, Greenville, South Carolina. It's incredible, but it was the catalyst to this. And and, and going on this 24-hour hike with him and a, and a group of people, it, it literally changed my life. And Wow. So, so you went with let's, – let's, let's, this is amazing. So you went with a group of people on a 24-hour hike. Yeah. Like, yes. Talk, talk, <laughs> talk, talk, about, talk about that. That's, that seems crazy. Yeah, so Tom Shea is, Tom <laughs> Shea is a Navy SEAL who he got married to Stacy Shea. And I'm connected with both of them on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. They're they're incredible. You can look them up. But when Tom was going back to war as a Navy SEAL, Stacy asked him to um, write letters to their kids so that if something was to happen to Tom, that he would be able to instill to them different life lessons that he had learned along the way. And this and so it was compiled. He wrote these letters, and now it's a book called Unbreakable. Um, and it's an incredible book. And I, I just stumbled wow. across this book because I started, you know, uh, like two years ago, randomly just decided that maybe I should start reading. And you and I were talking a little bit about that. That was the catalyst to me starting reading is I started with his book, actually Unbreakable. And I was like, oh, this is a really cool book. I actually like books written by Navy SEALs. And then that led into, you know, a few days ago, me moving out of my office in my home so my girls could have separate rooms and me going, how in the world do I have this many books? So um, it just, it just created this thing. But so Tom talks about one of the, he, he really talks about really learning how to control your inner dialogue and what you say to yourself. And one of the ways he does that is, a, is by doing something physically challenging that you don't believe you can do that you can do. And so he went out and walked for 24 hours straight. And this dude's just like, like, when you think of like Navy SEAL badasses, like this is the dude, right? Like he was, became a Navy SEAL. He's from Brookville, Indiana, become a, became a Navy SEAL. And while he was a Navy SEAL, decided he wanted to do an adventure race, like this 500 mile adventure race, never race, got a team together, him and a bunch of other Navy SEALs and went out and did this adventure race. And I think got like second, like it was incredible. And against all these professionals, like, and you know, but he talks wow. about like this 24 hour walk where you go out and you walk for 24 hours and you fight through all the negative internal dialogue that you're going to hear that you tell yourself during these different stages of the 24 hour uh, walk. And so um, now that he's out. And where, where, where are you walking? Like, are you walking <laughs> all over, like wherever, like in, where in, in the mountains? Yeah. So, so this one actually took place in Greenville, South Carolina in um in one of the parks and so when we went over there so now he does this with people and like like 
you pay like, I think it's like 400 bucks is what I pay to go over and like be tortured for 24 hours, basically like walking. Did you, did you actually walk with him? Yeah. Like he's, he, he, every single 24 hour challenge, he walks with you. And, 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 and dude, like I'm telling you, like it gives me goosebumps just talking about because I want to do another one. Um, and, and he says he learns things every single time that he does it. This is like his, like the one that I did was like his 17th one. He, he's got another one coming up in April that he's about to do in South Carolina. And, um, now he's starting to do it. He wants to do a cold weather one, like out in like Montana in the middle of the winter, which brings a whole new mental challenge to it. But so like he is there with you and it was a group of like 12 of us. And like, I think I was one of the younger guys there. And like, we had one lady, she was like 67 years old, like out there, like trucking. And we were literally hiking through the mountains and we'd take a, a, like we'd sit down for about 10 minutes every hour. And then we would eventually circle back around to our vehicles, reload our packs and then head back out. And then at night we went to this little area called traveler's rest. And we literally just walked the streets all night long back and forth. Like we'd go down, we'd walk out two hours, walk back two hours, walk out the other direction, two hours, walk back two hours. And and in the 10 minute breaks, we'd sit down and Tom was like, very like, what are you guys feeling right now? What's your negative inner dialogue? What are you telling yourself? And I remember like at at one point from like two o'clock to about five o'clock in the morning, Every time we would circle back around to the cars to reload like our, our, our nutrition and our water and stuff, I'd be like, I already got my t-shirt. <laughs> I've already got like, I could leave. Nobody would know. I'd never see these people again. I'd be out. Everybody would think that I did it. And, but there were two things that came in there. One, I did, I, I, there were so many things in my life that I'd quit. I was tired of being a quitter. I was, I was tired of believing that I, I wasn't good enough to do it. And it, it, it almost brings tears to my eyes even thinking, like, thinking about that moment. And then the other one was I decided to do it to raise money for a young lady who became a part of uh, our lives when my sister-in-law moved in with us and we finished raising her. Her name was Amanda Minutulo. And Amanda and I connected so close. She was best friends with my sister-in-law, so she was always at her house. And... Amanda died of type one diabetes in her dorm room, her sophomore year of college at ETSU up in Johnson city, Tennessee. And, um, and her mom started a Amanda Minutulo scholarship fund, giving money to outstanding students from, um, this one particular elementary school, Southside elementary in Johnson city, Tennessee. And they give $500 to one recipient. And I said, Hey, I want to raise money so that, I don't know how much money I'm going to raise, but whatever we do, if you want to give it to two recipients, if you want to give it to, um, one and, and we ended up, I ended up raising $1,500. And so now this one recipient at the end of this year, whoever they choose will now get a $2,000 scholarship to whatever school, uh, in, in the name of Amanda. And so there, there were those two things that were driving me. And so, but from two to five in the morning, man, it was, there was all these things that I was telling myself about everything from my past and that I was just like my mom, that I was, you know, my dad and I have a fantastic relationship now, but it was, you're just like your dad. You're not going to be there when you need to be there. Or 
you're a loser. You don't have what it takes, all these things. And I'm telling you, when it was, it was like six o'clock in the morning and I'd been battling, I could barely walk, like my feet hurt. Like, and I mean like hurt, not like this, oh my, like every step was excruciating pain. My hamstring was locked up. My lower back hurt. I had a headache, all of these things. And I was like, I'm not going to make it. And that sun started coming up at 630 in the morning. It started cresting over the trees. And and a, and, a, and a switch flipped inside of me. And it's a, and, and I, I literally remember the moment standing there watching the sun coming up over these trees as I was walking going, I have what it takes. I can do this. If I can do this, there isn't anything that I can't do in my life. And from that moment until now, man, my, my, my whole mindset has been, it is time for me to believe in what's been put inside of me that I wasn't made for mediocrity. I wasn't made for average. I was made for greatness and that it's, it's time to believe that and start living that and walking that out. And so when I look back on the, the, the chapter of my life that I want my girls and my, my family and my friends and the, and the people hopefully that I can, that I can influence in my life. This is the chapter that I would want them to see because this has been the chapter. This has been the the catalyst for, for this positive change in my life. Wow. I mean, I have nothing to say that is just unbelievable, man. And I can just see, you know, generations are now picking up that book and talking about the story of you walking for 24 hours and kind of the, you know, the dialogue you had with yourself is almost like the dialogue we have with inside our heads every day is except, you know, we don't accept it. Yeah. And, uh, wow. What an amazing experience. That's just unbelievable. You you almost want me to do a 24 hour walk. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I, <laughs> I, would tell, I would tell anybody it's worth the money to do it. It's worth the travel to come do it. And, and what's awesome is like the relationships that I've built with some of those people from the walk, and just the continued support yeah. that we all have for each other. We're now all Facebook friends and like had a phone conversation with one the other day. And like, it, it's just me and you just, and, and Tom said, we were a very interesting group because most people kind of like segregate themselves individually. And we never separated as a pack. We were always together. And I was kind of like, cause I'm just kind of a class clown. So I was kind of always cracking jokes but we were always connected with each other. And that's one of the things Tom talks about in this book that when he was like training Navy SEALs, he always knew the one that wouldn't make it because they would be the one that would fall behind the group and they wouldn't be a part of the group. They would fall behind. They wouldn't be running up with the group. They would, the ones that stayed in the group are the ones who made it. And it, and it was crazy because that's who we were as a, as a group that 24 hours. And there was only one person who didn't make it. And that was because during the 24-hour hike, his father passed away. And he lived in Greenville. And his father passed away. He went to the hospital, said goodbye to his father, drove back to where we were hiking, hiked with us for another three hours. And then when the time came that he knew his kids were waking up, he said, all right, guys, like, I want to stay. Like, and he was at like 21 hours at this point, And he said, but I got to I got to go tell kids that their grandpa's dead. So like, no joke, his dad died. He leaves, goes to the hospital, 
says goodbye to his father and comes back. Like that's the type of like impact this, this walk has on people's lives. Like it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's, it seems like it has so much more meaning, right? I think us who seek a lot of knowledge and surrounding ourselves with people that will build us up. And we talk a lot about that, right? Yeah. And maybe this is a reflection of what you need to put around in your life. Well, like, and, believe, and, you know, people yeah. like you, I believe you are part of that tribe now and we should surround ourselves with people with positivity um, and not the negative stuff because or else we'll fall back and, and end up quitting. Right. And I think that's just so true of what um, you kind of just said. Well, we, make ex- we make excuses, man. Like, and, and here's the thing, and this is what was, and Tom always says this, you can make an excuse and that excuse will be true. Your excuse will be yeah. true. Absolutely. So, but it's it's up to you of whether or not you accept that truth or not. And and what's and what's awesome, the guy whose father passed, like when he left, and Tom, like Tom does not like he doesn't he doesn't mess around. He's like, Alex leaving, his dad dying is an excuse for him not to keep his commitment to finishing this. And what was awesome, Tom's eyes when he came back, and it wasn't, and Tom's not being a jerk about that. There's, it's not a jerk, but Tom says, we make commitments that we never intend to keep. And part of doing that 24 hour walk is making the commitment to finish and you learning how to keep your word. And, and, and it's funny, like, you know, even that dude's dad passing away, like not finishing and, and using that, it sounds harsh, but it's, it's just an excuse because, it there it's just something that happened that caused him not to be able to keep his word finishing that. And as real as that was, and as in real life as that was, and you know, whether people agree with that or not, that's, that's what it is. But, but when you, when you take it not from that extreme, but just look to what we do on a day to day life, we constantly make excuses to that, that keep us from keeping our word towards going after what we want most. And the biggest thing that that thing taught that that walk taught me is that my word should mean something, even if that word is to myself, and that I have to I have to learn how to start being and keeping my commitments even to myself, and not making an excuse as to why I don't do it. It was it was so strong. Yeah. Wow, awesome experience. What's the book again? Uh, Unbreakable. Unbreakable. Yeah. Unbreakable. We'll be sure to include all the notes and stuff. Make sure people get a chance to to check out all this really good stuff we're talking yeah. about. Um, but uh, I think I've always wanted to do uh, rapid uh-huh. fire uh, to kind of round out the podcast. I always thought it was a good way to kind of end things, and I have a kind of a special ending oh, question. Um, so if you're ready, if you're ready, I mean, it's it's nothing bad. It's, I think it's a, I think it's good. I I, I think I like to think I'm creative. Um, but here's some. Do I have to do I have to answer in a certain amount of time? <laughs> we'll see. Okay. All right. So <laughs> rapid fire, and we'll end with this and, and some other things. But uh, man, just I just enjoyed like getting to know you so much more. And we've been talking, you know, and and we've been connecting weekly, and we're constantly texting back and forth. But this has been really really awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so rapid fire. Here we go. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, okay. All right, so 
at the height of your formidable, perhaps awkward teen years, what would we find if we walked in your room? <laughs> um, a couch. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what I slept on. I didn't want a bed. I, I thought a bed was stupid. So I, so I literally <laughs> in my room only had a couch, which is the, most, is the dumbest thing ever. It was so uncomfortable. I couldn't sleep well. But you would walk, oh, you would have yeah. walked into my room and found a couch. And like not a nice couch. It. it was like a couch like I found like at Goodwill or like Well you know. Yeah. That that Jonathan, that probably explains why you get up at four thirty and can't, can't sleep. Yeah, this is so bad. A couch. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's great. All right. Uh what was your last post on Instagram? Oh, uh, my last post on Instagram I think was I think was from a run. I'm a, I'm actually doing a social media fast for the for seven days. So like I literally haven't posted anything since Monday morning, and it's killing me. Um, I bet. I was wondering why I'm not getting all these good nuggets every day. Yes. Like what's, I, thought, I thought you were just busy. Yeah. No. Like there, there's some there's some stuff going on that I think I ne- I needed to take a step back for a minute to get some clarity and have some time to like really really focus. Yeah. So uh, I've been doing a social media fast, and so I, I think it was. I think it was about a run. I think it's the last thing I posted and it's been killing me because there's all these things that I want to make a video about and I can't yet. So, well, when's the fast over? How many more days? Uh, next Tuesday morning. So next Tuesday morning, there might be like a, like a 15 to 20 posts, like blast that end up going, going out. Yeah. We'll wait for it though. Um, that's great. Uh, last app you download on your phone. Twitch. Twitch. Very yep. nice. I have no clue what I'm going to do with it, but I downloaded it. I downloaded that in Fortnite at the same time. Nice. If you know what to do with Twitch and I'm trying to figure it out as well, you know, we're always learning. So I'm sure we'll get some, hopefully some comments. Right. All right. Um, here you go. At a wedding, first one to get on the dance floor or wait until people have a few drinks so they don't see your moves. Absolutely. I'm the first one on the dance floor. <laughs> I figure that you much. Cannot <laughs> keep me. Uh, the last wedding I was at, I like literally the groom told the DJ, Hey, if there's any guy who's going to do something stupid on the dance floor, it's probably going to be Jonathan. And so the DJ was like, Hey, Jonathan's got a special song for you guys. And I'm already out there like sweating, like just drenched, wet and sweat. And they played backstreet boys. Um, I wanted that way. And I literally serenaded lip syncing the, the words to Backstreet Boys, because yes, I know them all to the entire wedding ceremony. It was incredible. I'm the first one out there. Like, let's get the party started. Let's not wait. I love it. Love it. Love it. Last purchase on Amazon. If you, if who doesn't buy things on Amazon, but Last thing you bought, you bought on Amazon. Last thing I bought on Amazon was a book for a friend, um, which is a, a book that I love by uh, Tommy Spaulding called The Heart-Led Leader. Love it. Heart-Led Leader. Yeah. Uh, incredible book. I, I love buying books for people now. And so uh, that, that typically is, is my purchase uh, pretty consistently on Amazon. Nice. I like that. We'll have to check that out. Um, before we get to the last question, where can people find you on the World Wide Web? Yeah, so um, I have a website. It is it is up and running, but it's it's still kind of a work in progress, and that is thejonathandarling.com. Um, that's where I do a lot of my leadership stuff, and I post actual uh, book reviews from the latest leadership book that I've read. 
You can also find me on Instagram at the Jonathan Darling. And then I am on Twitter at the Jonathan Dar one. So D A R one. And I'm still, I'm, I'm like, I'm so bad at Instagram, but I'm trying to, or uh, on Twitter, but I'm trying to figure that out, but you can kind of find me on there and then you can like hit me up on Facebook. Just look me up, Jonathan Darling, look for the bald guy. Uh, and, yeah, engage the heart. That is my that is my professional page um, on on uh, Facebook, and so yeah, you can you can find that. And I'm always kind of like putting content on there. Nice, um, doing different leadership stuff. Perfect, perfect. All right, you guys need to follow him, check him out, get him to your teams, talk about leadership for sure. Um, all right, are you ready for the last question? I think you're ready for the last question. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready okay, for that. So it, it's been it, fun. I'm kind of not ready for the last question. I know. It's been a good time, man. Yeah, but I'm ready for the – I'm ready. Maybe we'll uh, – you know, as we we'll, – we'll do part two, I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm not quite Tim Ferriss going two hours plus, you know. Yeah, or, or like Rich Roll. Nothing. If you've never listened to Rich Roll's podcast, sometimes yeah, things are like right. two and a half hours. I'm like, dude. This is episode 002. So I'm right. I'm getting I'm kind of getting my <laughs> getting my wings underneath me here. But I'm you're like, great at it though. Like you're so good. Oh, I appreciate it. You're just saying that because you're episode two. Maybe, but okay. we'll see. Last question. Ready? I'm ready. So here's the thing. All right. You know, we all kind of dream about that big moment, right? So, and what we want you to do this last ending this podcast is giving us, you're going to get your Oscar moment. All right. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to get your Oscar moment. And I'm going to ask you, you know, who would you thank if you stepped up to the podium <laughs> and say you want entrepreneur of the year, but here's the thing. I'm actually going to edit it. I'm actually going to edit this podcast and end at 45 seconds. So I will cut you off with the music, just like the Oscars. So you got 45 seconds to kind of thank who you wanted to thank. And who would you thank if you had that moment on stage? <laughs> um, say you won, say you won Entrepreneur of the Year, Jonathan Darling. Uh, whenever you're ready, you can go. And uh, I'll let you finish, but I'll actually, uh, I'll, when I edit, post, you got 45 seconds. All right? Whenever you're ready. So I really appreciate winning this award. I would like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because I believe that he created me for greatness and put greatness inside of me. And living anything less than that would be living a life unfulfilled. Um, I would like to also thank my wonderful wife, who even when I did not believe in myself, that she believed that I was able to accomplish anything in my life that I decided to put my mind towards. And even if she thinks me making videos and doing podcasts is kind of crazy because it's not her comfort zone, she loves me and supports me through that anyway. I would like to thank my two daughters who look at me with eyes that are wide open, believing that I am Superman and that I'm the strongest, most confident, most wonderful father in the world and that I can do anything. And in their eyes, I want to show them that it is possible to do whatever you set your mind to do if you're willing to work your face off to get it. And I would also like to thank my father who has been a a great friend and a great mentor and someone who when he tells me that he is proud of me and he believes in me, it, it, it makes me want to push even harder. Thank you. 
that was awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate you, you know, spending time with me at a Thursday night of all things. Um, and guys, episode 002, Jonathan Darling. Uh, it's been awesome. Check out all the good resources uh, in the podcast notes. Uh, and they'll be released uh, in a couple weeks. So we're looking to do podcasts every Monday. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much for sticking around. I really, really appreciate it. I have just one quick announcement before you kind of hit pause and go about your day. I use a service called anchor.fm and this is in no way a sponsored advertisement or promotion. I just really love their service. And so they recently announced that creators and content creators like myself, very early stage, uh, can now ask for support for listeners to continue to create great content. And they recently launched their listener supported model. And in the link in the notes, you'll see an opportunity to see where I actually post all of my podcasts. And Anchor.fm does an amazing job of syndicating and distributing this podcast and all future podcasts to all different types of places where you listen to podcasts like iTunes and Spotify and everywhere else. And so when you go to those places, you'll see an opportunity to support kind of the art that we're trying to build. And what I love about it is that you don't have to have 5 million uh, subscribers or listeners. You can have just five. And I'm pretty sure I'm at five. And and you can support us monthly uh, in, in three different levels. And I hope that you consider doing that. And I just wanted to, to put that out there that I love what Anchor.fm is doing. And I hope that you also appreciate and love the work that we're putting out. And I hope it's valuable to you. And if you feel that it is, I hope that you consider supporting this uh, content and supporting the artwork. Thank you so much. Until next time, goodbye.